welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful growth steps, resources, join a servant team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this moment financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. Well, happy Easter, everybody. I know this Easter is a lot different than last Easter. We were all gathered together in the same room. The place was packed out. We celebrated Jesus' resurrection together. And, and now this year, we're not together. There's an empty room. But that empty room is not going to stop us from celebrating the empty tomb. Because Jesus has resurrected. And even though we're a scattered church, we're still gathered together under one name with one purpose and one mission. And that's Jesus Christ, our resurrected King. So happy Easter. Now I know it's different. I know a lot of things are different in your life right now. And, and maybe one of the fun traditions around Easter that's different if you have young kids in your neighborhood is maybe there was an Easter egg hunt. And maybe you had a family Easter egg hunt tradition that's now been disrupted. Because you can't get together with everybody. And if you remember back to Easter egg hunts as a child, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, re I remember back to my first Easter egg hunt as a dad. And I remember taking our, our son, Jalen, who's now almost 13. And I took him as a, a little boy, a toddler. We took him to downtown Lansing, Michigan. And we were right there in front of the Capitol building for this big Easter egg hunt that they were, they were hosting. And there was people everywhere. It was packed out. It was just crazy. And, and the thing is that Jalen, I don't know that he really knew what was going on. He was young. But I, I was able to, to coach him enough to say, hey, go, go pick up those eggs out on the lawn. And so when they turned all the kids loose, I, I turned him loose to go get some eggs. But it was so crazy. I mean, people are crazy when it comes to Easter egg hunts. And he didn't get a single egg. All the older kids grabbed the eggs up before he could even get a single egg. Well, thankfully, mom and dad were prepared. We had, we had some eggs in, in Jen's purse, and we, we went around to a side corner of the Capitol building and found a little grass area, and we, we laid them out in the grass. We said, all right, go, go get some eggs, Jalen. <laughs> so, so he got his, his Easter eggs. But, but it, was, it was crazy, and I, I, know that, I know that your traditions are, are, are different. And, you know, I, I love the creativity and innovation seeing our Kid Experience Ministry still putting together a fun Easter egg hunt for kids to keep them connected with each other. And uh, they're hosting a, an online virtual Easter egg hunt through the Minecraft video game. I just think that is such a great idea. But maybe you were a part of an Easter egg hunt where there was a golden egg. Do you remember that? Maybe, maybe your aunt or uncle, they said, hey, hey, there's a golden egg hidden somewhere out here, or maybe a few golden eggs. Now, the normal eggs have candy in them. You might find some jelly beans. But if you find the golden egg, the golden egg has some money in it. 
And then people really went crazy, right? Because they're turning over everything. They're looking everywhere, trying to find that golden egg. And if they can find a golden egg, man, inside it, they got a real treasure. See, we're, we're taught from a young age to be treasure hunters. And nobody really has to teach us. It's in us. We, we love being treasure hunters. And, and this is really a lot of why people work and they do the work that they do is, is they're on a treasure hunt. That's the, the currency that they get paid. It's a monetary currency. It's the, it's the treasure. It's the exchange. And Jesus' disciples, his close followers that he recruited to be on mission with him, they started out being treasure seekers in many ways. They were, they were working a career. They had a job. It was, it was how they provided for themselves. They would, they would fish for people. And then along came Jesus, and he said, hey, I, I know you have this career going. I know you have this way of making money, but I have a, a better vision for your life than what you can see. You're out there fishing for these, these fish that you're finding in the water, but but I want to take you to fish for men, for people. I want you to join me to be on mission for the kingdom of God. And he recruited them, and they followed him. And as they followed him, it, it, it was amazing. It was, it was far better than anything they could have imagined. I want you to think back through some of the things that they experienced as they, they went on this, this treasure hunt with Jesus for people, for lives. That they, saw, they saw miracles happen. They, they saw places packed out with crowds hearing about God and turning their lives over to him. They saw insane things like being packed into a room and there was one point where some people brought a lame person, they tore a hole in the ceiling. They lowered this person down in front of Jesus, this person that couldn't walk and Jesus healed that lame man. He got up and he could walk and, and dance and jump and run. They, they saw people who couldn't see and Jesus placed his hands on them and their eyes were literally opened. And they saw Jesus walk on water. Imagine what they experienced and what they saw. It was truly an unbelievable journey. But then Jesus was captured and he was crucified. And their quest for a greater treasure seemed to be over. So they gathered together. They were in a room. Many of these followers of Jesus had seen all these miracles take, take place. They gathered together and there was sadness there was fear. They were isolated in this room. They were, if you will, quarantined in this room. And there was a lot of fear. This is starting to sound familiar. See, I'm looking for the good and the bad in the situation that we're in. And one of the good things I can see in this bad situation is you'll never understand, likely you'll never understand in your life, this story, this Easter story that we're reading today, as good as you will this year. You'll never be able to relate to it as much as you will this year. Story, I want to look at the part of the resurrection stories in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, they're gathered there in this room. And there's a lot of fear. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, on, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace, be still. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This is the same Lord that they saw crucified, that they saw buried. The one that had literally died was now standing there with them. This is unbelievable. They're, they're, they're sheltered there in this room. They're gathered, quarantined in this room, and Jesus shows up. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. They were quarantined. And Jesus comes into that room and he says, peace be with you. I've come to bring you peace in the middle of your fear. And it says they were overjoyed by this resurrection that Jesus showed up and that he was there with them in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their uncertainty. Jesus showed up and he changed everything. They're quarantined. Where does that word quarantine come from? Back in 1348 and 1359, the Black Death, it wiped out an estimated 30% of Europe's population and a significant portion, uh, percentage of Asia's population as well. The disaster was so severe that government started to put on constraints on people to, to stop the spread of this, this black plague. And in 1377, one city-state in modern-day Croatia, they, they created this, this thing called a Trentine. It was a 30-day waiting period that you could not come into their city unless you waited for 30 days to make sure that you didn't have this this black death plague. And it was originally in a nearby island that they would sequester you for these 30 days. Well, in 1448, the Venetian Senate prolonged the waiting period from 30 days to 40 days. And the word they used for that was quarantine. 40 days, a quarantine. It proved to be effective because they're, they're ended up, they ended up finding that it took 37 days from infection until death. So this 40-day period was a waiting period, and ships that would sail in, trading ships that would sail into the area, they were not allowed to disembark from their vessels for 40 days until they could wait to see if there was any signs of black death on that ship. 40 days. Quarantine. That's where we get that word in. I find it interesting that before Jesus entered his public ministry, he self-quarantined for 40 days for prayer and fasting. 40 days. 40 days for prayer and fasting before he went into ministry, before God did greater things through his life here on earth, he self-quarantined for 40 days. You know, what if God could use these days of quarantine in your life and he could build greater faith instead of fear? The fears are rising, but what if, what if faith rose higher? What if God did bigger things in your life? What if God worked in new ways in your family through this time? What if God strengthened your character and your hope and your trust in him in this time, in this time of quarantine? Instead of taking a step back, what if you took a step forward in faith? We've been hearing this phrase, shelter in place. Shelter in place. And for many, it's not shelter in place, it's shelter in fear why you shelter in place. You know, the devil loves when we sit around and, and the anxiety increases, the fear increases. He loves that because he wins when we're filled with anxiety and fear. Because when you're full of fear, you shrink back. Courage evaporates. Instead of shining the light of Jesus into a dark world that needs the hope of Christ, believers shrink back. But I want to remind you of your family tree. I want to remind you of what you're made of when you're in Christ. I want to remind you of the family that you belong to. We always talk about our church experience, family, that we're a family. I want to remind you of the family that you belong to. If you go back to the early believers and what they faced so much persecution, they faced so many hardships, they faced plagues, they went through so much. And I want you to notice in Hebrews 10, verse 32, how it speaks of them. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you endured in great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison 
and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Talk about a treasure. It's saying there's a reward. And then it goes on, verse 36, he says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. And, but my righteous one, one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. The righteous ones will live by faith and he takes no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. See, in, instead of just sheltering in place. I think what we need, it's in your teaching notes. If you're here with us at the drive-in, if you're at home, I want you to write these notes down. Instead of sheltering in place only, I think we need to shelter in faith. Write it down. We need to shelter in faith. You know, we're formed by what we follow. We're formed by what we follow. And there's been a lot of bad news and it's understandable that people are following the news. And I'm not saying that you should be uneducated on what's happening. I think you should be aware of what's going on in the world. And you can pray. You can be aware. But with so much attention on media right now and all the news that's rolling out, and it's bad news. It's, it's not good news. We hear of death rates. We hear of all kinds of stuff that's happening in our world. But as that, that focus on looking at and obsessing over the bad news increases, I've noticed in the people that I've communicated with that anxiety also is increasing, that fear is also increasing and it's growing. And, and again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be educated on what's going on, but here's the question I'm asking is, what's the most dominant voice in your life right now? Who are you listening to the most right now? Because you're formed by what you follow. So follow God closer in these days. Let this time and this season that's very different and unique than any other time in your life, let this time of sheltering in faith as you shelter in place be a time where you grow spiritually because you're more in tune with God's voice than ever before. Now I pray that this will be a spiritual revival, a wake-up call for many of us, that God will do fresh things and new things in our life as we grow in our faith, not in our fear. And when you do that, it brings such great peace. It brings such peace. Going back to the resurrection story when Jesus came and he meets, met his disciples in this, in this room as they were gathered and sheltering in place. Remember he said in verse 19, he said, peace be with you. And faith brings peace. Great faith brings great peace. And that's what I want to happen in your life for you to find a greater peace than you've ever known before. A peace that will last beyond this current storm. Because this storm will pass and you'll have other storms in your life. And I can't tell you whether those storms will be less or worse or if they'll last longer or they'll be shorter, but I can guarantee you that you'll have storms in your life. And Jesus brings peace and calm in the midst of the storms. So I hope, I hope faith increases as you shelter in faith. But that's not all that Jesus offers. If you look down here, so he shows up, he's resurrected. The resurrected Christ is standing before them. Imagine that, the resurrected king. You saw him die, you saw him be buried. Now he's standing in front of you and it says in verse 20, after he said this, after he said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. And notice their reaction. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed. They were filled to overflowing. They were ecstatic. They were amazed. They were astonished. There's their resurrected king, their friend, their savior, their Lord, right there with him, showing them the marks of his crucifixion, standing there with them. Jesus showed up and it literally changed everything. 
And if you have a crisis and Jesus shows up, it changes everything. When you're in the middle of a pandemic and Jesus shows up in your life, it changes everything. And some of us are looking for a change right now. And no matter what the pain is in your life, no matter what the problems are in your life, no matter what the brokenness is in your life and how long it's been there, when Jesus shows up, it changes everything. Someone sent me this image of Jesus' face that someone who was quarantined in their home drew with charcoal on their driveway. And it's the only thing that they could do. And the only way they could express their faith was to go out in the driveway and, and, and just draw Jesus' face in charcoal. And I, I just love that picture. Because somebody knew that if Jesus is present in my home, if Jesus shows up, it's going to be okay. Even if all my friends aren't around me, even if I can't go about my normal routines, if I'm stuck here in my home, when Jesus shows up, it's going to be okay. I heard one Bible teacher years ago teaching on the first Passover. And if you don't know much about Israel's history and the Old Testament biblical history, I'll just give you what you need to know in this story. But, but there was a series of plagues that occurred in Egypt when God was releasing his people from captivity. And that last plague was the death of the firstborn of everyone in Egypt because Pharaoh would not let God's people go. They had been in captivity for many, many years and, and God told him to let his people go, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't. It, it, it represented his economic stability, his power, his influence over these people, and he wouldn't let them go so that they could go and worship their God. And so he refused. And so finally, God had to release this plague over this land that, that killed the firstborn of every family. Now, let me just pause here and say this. Not every disaster in our world is, is from God. In fact, all death in the world ultimately is from sin. It's from the devil. And it breaks God's heart. So we're not going to get in today. We don't have the time to address why does God allow things like this happen in the world? Why does God allow hurricanes and tornadoes and, and, and unexpected car accidents and cancers? And all I can tell you is this, is that behind death is sin. Because in God's original creation in the world, death was not a part of it. But sin came into the world, and like a cancer, it destroyed. But this, this plague that was about to ravage the land of Egypt so that God's people would be released, God came and he told his people, if you'll put blood, the blood of a lamb, on the doorframe of your home, then when the angel of death pass, passes by, he will pass by over your home, and your firstborn will not die. So as you can imagine, the, the people of, of Israel, God's people, they, they went out quickly and they, they obediently went and they took the blood of lambs and they, and, and they, they brushed them over their, their doorways. And, and if you can imagine them doing this, painting the, the blood from the lamb on the, the door frames of their home and then over the top of the door frame, and what would that blood likely do? It would probably drip down below to the bottom of the floor, or the threshold as you'd walk into the home. And so you have blood there on the ground and up above on the door frame and on the side posts. And, and as, as I originally heard someone teaching on this years ago, it was just so, so powerful to me because as you think about this and what, what could have been a foreshadowing event, if you take that frame of that door and you take those center points where that blood had been touched on, that, on, the, on the ceiling of the door frame and then, and then on the sides of the door frame and then on the floor, the threshold. What, what, what do you see when you look at that? You see a cross. You see the foreshadowing of the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, the sinless Lamb, who would come ultimately to die for us so that death could pass over so that you don't have to die for your sin eternally. You can be forgiven. And Jesus' grace can cover you through the blood of Christ, the sinless lamb, the one-time sacrifice that when he paid it, 
He paid it all so your sins could be forgiven. What a powerful message. What a powerful thing that Jesus has done through his death on the cross for your sins. But what we celebrate at Easter is not just that Jesus died for us, is that, that he showed us that he had power over death and he resurrected. And there in the middle of the mess, all those centuries ago, when the angel of death passed over and all the havoc that had happened in that land, and God was there in the middle of this mess being the protector and the provider for his people, bringing peace. And Jesus is still here in the middle of our messes, bringing peace, bringing joy, bringing hope in the middle of our chaos. And because Jesus shows up, he turns fear into faith. He turns sadness into joy. And those disciples, as they gathered in that room, they were sad. They were mourning the loss of someone they loved. But now they're overjoyed as they see Jesus. Sadness turned to joy, and God can do that in your life. I don't know what you're sad about. I don't know what you've lost lately. Maybe you lost a job, and, and let's, church family, be praying for those who have lost a job. Let's, let's help out. I love that so many of you donated food for our food collection to help people in need. You know, think about how you can be helping those in need, but maybe you are in need, and I hope you'll reach out to us if you are. Let us know how can we help you as a church family. But some of you have lost more than a job, more than an income, Maybe you have someone that you know that you've lost in recent days. Maybe there's been some other loss in your life. You're mourning a, a season of life that's long gone. But in the losses, you can know that in sadness, God can even bring joy when you've had a loss. He can turn your disappointment into a God appointment. He can show up in the middle of that moment, in the middle of that mess, and create a, a season of, of growth in your life, of change, of progress, because he's got the bigger picture in mind. He can do things that you and I can't. He can move things in your life that we, we can't. When, when God shows up, when Jesus shows up, things change. See, they, they wanted a revolution, his, his followers. They were hoping that Jesus would come and, and be a, a physical, human, governing king. That's the kind of king and kingdom that they were hoping for. They were hoping for a revolution, that they would be freed from their oppressors, the Roman government. But they didn't get a revolution, did they? Not like they were thinking. Instead of a revolution, they got a resurrection. They got something that was so much better. And their disappointment was actually an appointment by God to do something better in their life and their future that would touch future centuries and future generations that would build God's church and God's kingdom. It was gonna be a, a much further reaching kingdom than what they were imagining. Much more power than what they could have ever fathomed. See, God was at work and here's the thing I'm learning over time. I didn't see this coming. And you didn't see this coming either. But God did. Maybe you want to write that down. I didn't see this coming. I didn't see this pandemic coming. I didn't see this job loss coming. I didn't see this hurt and pain in my life coming. I didn't see it coming, but God did. God knew about it. He's already there in our future. He's already there. He's present, and he's powerful, and he's going to get us through it. He always does, and he's waiting on the other side of it. And even if we perish, what do we have to fear? Even if we perish in the worst crisis of our life, whenever that may come in our lives, because we'll all have crisis, and we know in reality that all of us will die. These bodies don't last forever. So in the middle of our worst crises, if we, if we do perish, what do we have to fear? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, because death could not hold our king, because he conquered death, what do we have to fear? Even death itself has lost his sting in Christ. Daniel, one of the members of our Wesley Chapel launch teams, launched a new campus in Wesley Chapel, and they're on a Zoom group with uh, members of that launch team uh, this last week. And Daniel shared a story, in it, and I asked him to send it to me because I wanted to share it with our church. And, and Daniel told this story about 
this man who was, was really wealthy. And this man was really wealthy, and he was laying on his deathbed. And he started negotiating with God because he'd been a committed follower of God his whole life. And he negotiated with God, and he said, God, could I please just bring one suitcase with me to heaven? I know how it goes. We can't bring it with us when we, when we die, but could I please just bring one suitcase? And because he'd been such a faithful follower of God for all these years, God gave him permission. He said, you can bring one suitcase. So he got together his family in his last days, and he said, I want you to liquidate all my assets. I want you to sell everything, and I want you to get the biggest suitcase that you can possibly find, and I want you to pack it full of these gold bars. With all the wealth that I gathered, I, I, wanna, I want you to pack that suitcase full. So he eventually passes away. The suitcase is sitting there in his hospital room, and he wakes up on the other side, and he sees the pearly gates, and he walks up, and there's Peter standing there to welcome him into heaven. And, and he walks up pulling his suitcase, and, and he's using both hands because it's heavy. It's filled with these gold bricks. And, and Peter looks at him. He says, you know, you can't take it with you. And, and he says, no, no, no. I've, I've talked to God. God gave me permission to bring in one suitcase. And he says, well, I'll, I'll be right back. Let me, let me go check. So Peter disappears behind the gates, and he goes, and he checks, and he comes back moments later, and he says, you're right. You're right, God said it's okay, you can bring in your suitcase, but before you bring it in, I need to inspect it, and I need to see what's inside. So he unzips it, and Peter looks in, and, and, and he's shocked, and his jaw drops, and he says, why'd you bring pavement? <laughs> why'd you bring pavement? <laughs> so you know, the Bible talks about there being streets of gold in heaven. The, the best treasure here on earth is the least in the kingdom of God. It's the least the best things that people aspire toward here on earth are the least in the kingdom of God. And what I want you to know about that is that, that this is a time for, I think, many people to make an exchange. This is a wake-up call. I'm praying that this is a revival because so many things that people have chased, maybe for their whole life, they've chased wealth and they've seen how fast it can evaporate. They've chased career promotions and they've seen how unstable that can be. They've got wrapped up in sports or entertainment, and they can see how that can just disappear. Maybe they've put their bet on living a long, healthy life, and they've been all about fitness, and, and then they realize there's things that are beyond their control, and even our health is not something that we can count on. And all of the idols have been shaken and stirred, and I'm hoping that out of that, that what God resurrects from the ashes is a greater faith, a greater trust, a greater hope in him that many people will turn their eyes to him and see that there's actually a greater treasure, that they'll make an exchange and they'll say, this is not enough to live for earthly treasures, to live to chase gold. And I don't want to be on that kind of treasure hunt. I want to live for something that's greater, that's better. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted. I think you could safely say that we're all being afflicted in some way right now. Affliction actually means, means to cause pain and suffering. And here it says, it was good for me to be afflicted. Why? Why would you say that? So that I might learn your decrees. So that there might be a, an internal personal revival. That I could grow to depend more on God and less on the things of this world. But it says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Verse 72, the law from your mouth. God. Your word, your law is more precious to me. This is where I want you to get. It's more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Can you imagine? What if you were chasing Jesus with the same passion that people chase treasures here on earth with? What if the gold in your eyes, in your mind, in your heart was not in the things of this world? 
the things that are least in heaven. But what if, what if your eyes were set to a higher treasure, a greater treasure? What if your eyes were set on Jesus, the resurrected king, that you would look to him and you'd wake up every day with a hunger and a desire to live for him, to please him, to know his word, to know how he wants you to live? It would change your family. It would change your marriage. It would change what you do with your free time. It would change how you pray. It would change everything about who you are. And that's what God wants, nothing less. Imagine if this time could be a spiritual revival in your home. They're quarantined, not able to go out to restaurants, not able, maybe many of you, to even go to work. So many things different. <laughs> no toilet paper, no hand sanitizer. Oh, so many changes in our life. But what if in the middle of this mess, the message that God wanted to get in your life was that there's a greater treasure. What you've been investing your life in is not worth giving your life to and you have one life. What if you could live for something more? What if this was a season where everything changed and you exchanged the less for God's more? We have to help our friends see this because they're not gonna naturally think this. I thought going into this that maybe everyone's eyes would just be instantaneously opened until I had a conversation that marked me. I was talking with someone that as far as I know, they, they don't really know Jesus, they'll throw God in occasionally, but I don't think they're a committed follower of Jesus. And we were talking about this whole pandemic and, and the impact it's had on people. And, and I was trying to plant some evangelistic seeds in their life and just talking to them about how, how I love what I get to do because as a believer and as a Christian, as a pastor, I get to help people see that the things of this world are not a strong enough foundation to build on. And we were just talking about how everything has been shaken in every category in our society. And I was talking about how the importance of faith and, and this person who has really built their life on uh, pursuing monetary things. Their life is really wrapped around money. Their career is around money. A lot of the things in their life seem to be focused on money. You know what they said to me? I thought was so interesting. They, they agreed with my theory in part that things have been shaken. But their outcome, the result of that was not the same as what I, mine was, which mine was a hope for a greater spiritual revival. Theirs were saying, yeah, I've been, I've been telling everybody for a long time now that they need to get their finances in order because things like this could happen. And they're in the middle of what could be a spiritual wake-up call. This person still had their hope on something that is so fragile. I've been telling people they just need more money. More money would have solved the problem. If they just had more, they, they weren't seeing it. Their eyes were not yet ready to be open to a spiritual reality that, that money, no matter how much you have, <laughs> health, no matter how much you get for how long you get it, a career, no matter how good it is, some hobby, no matter how much you love it, none of these things are worthy of giving your life to because they are so uncertain and so unstable. What treasures were you chasing pre-pandemic? More importantly, what treasure will your heart be chasing genuinely post-pandemic. And right here in the season, as we're in the middle of this mess, what if God would reach right through this screen, right into your home, right into your life, and, and, and what if it, this, this main thing that he's wanting to say in your life is, listen, there's a greater treasure that you could live for. Jesus, he has so much more for you, this resurrected king. Let this be your spiritual wake-up call. There's one more verse here in John chapter 20 I want to look at. And it has a lot in it for us. In John 20, there's joy, there's peace when Jesus shows up. But then it goes on. John chapter 20, verse 21. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
I'm sending you. I just love that. I think we're a sending church. I love seeing people being raised up to follow Jesus and being sent out to serve him here in our community and beyond. I just think that's such a beautiful thing when people get that calling to be sent and they go on mission for God. I want to live on mission more and more. I want to be sent more and more and say, God, here am I. Send me. Use me. And, and, and God, when he showed up, when Jesus showed up here in this room, he didn't come just to give them peace, just to give them joy. No, he said, I've come to, to send you out to be on mission. As the Father sent me, so I send you. He had more for them on the other side of their crisis. Listen, God's primary goal is not just that you'll survive this crisis. He has something so much bigger. This is good news. God's goal is not just that you'll get through it, that you'll survive. That's, that's not his main goal. God has a higher purpose, a higher calling for you. Right here in the middle of the darkness, he wants you to be light. And on the other side, he wants you to shine so brightly for him because of what he did in this season of isolation. See, God's wanting to fill you up so that he can pour out through your life. He wants you to focus on the eternal, not the earthly, because he has got people for you to reach. We've been hearing a lot about the safer at home mandate. Maybe you've heard people talking about the safer at home mandate, and I think it's good. And I think we are safer at home, and we can keep others safer when we stay home. And I think it's a good thing. And we may not like it, but it's the right thing to do to be safer at home. But some Christians, you know, when we talk about the word safety, I think they can idolize the word safety. They can idolize a safe, healthy, long life. And God never meant for you to idolize that. It's a gift from him, a life, and if he gives you a lot of years, and I hope that he does, then that's a blessing. But it's not something that's big enough to worship. It's not good enough to give your life to. Safety is not a goal that we're necessarily supposed to set out to live for, to be safe. And it's good to be safe. And I'm not saying throw caution to the wind, and I think we're safer at home, and I think you should wash your hands and use hand sanitizer. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that some people live in fear of being unsafe. And so they miss out on the things that God wants to do them that require, do it through their life, that require courage. Some people set such small goals for their life of what God could do because they're worried that it might not be safe. They might not be able to protect all the things in their life that they love. And so they shrink back. And I love what Christian author Erwin McManus wrote about this topic. He said, Jesus' death wasn't to free us from dying, but to free us from the fear of death. Jesus came to liberate us so that we could die up front and then live. The history of God's people, listen to this, is not a record of God searching for courageous men and women who could handle the task, but instead it was God transforming the hearts of cowards and calling them to live courageous lives. He says, for years I've made it my mission to destroy the influence of the Christian cliche. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. God would never choose for us safety at the cost of significance. God created you so that your life would count, not so that you could count the days of your life. And then finally he says, a world without God cannot wait for us to choose the safe path. You know, I'm not living for safer. I'm going to be safer at home right now in this season, but, but I'm not living for safer because this is not my home. And if my treasure is here on this earth, then it's not safe. Doesn't matter how much I protect it, it's not safe if it's here. But if my treasure, if my heart is at home, 
the real home, which is heaven, then I'm safe because my treasure and my heart are united in a place that's eternal. And how I put it in your notes is that my treasure is safer at home. My treasure is safer at home. Where's your treasure at? Maybe you saw some of these videos. It's so powerful. I just want you to see a little clip here, but it's incredible to see. In New York City, one of the places that's been most devastated by this pandemic so far, to see at 7 o'clock on a Friday night, to see tens of thousands and tens of thousands and tens of thousands of people from all around New York City yelling and cheering and clapping out their windows and out their balconies for healthcare workers who are putting themselves in harm's way to help those who are in need. Check it out. Man, that's so good, isn't it? I, I'm applauding that too. That is just so awesome. And those of you who are part of the medical community here, a part of our church, we, we together as a church family just want to say thank you. Thank you for putting yourself in harm's way. Those of you who are first responders, those of you who are out there serving in your different professions, helping people, putting yourself in harm's way so that others can be served. Thank you. But I want to ask a question that applies to every single one of us. What if you lived your life so on mission for Jesus? Touch so many lives for him. That when you end this life and you go into eternity, that was your welcome. That applause of heaven was your welcome. What if you lived your life that way? You know, they say that when you come into this life, you, you cry as you enter the world. But you should live in such a way as you leave this life that the world cries. And what if you lived a life that was so on mission, so on purpose, that impacted even one life? Because listen, in heaven, everyone matters. What if you touched a life and it was changed and you lived on mission? You know, I heard this, this story of an evangelist who, who had gone overseas and with much suffering and much sacrifice, many lives were impacted and changed. Eternities were altered. And he, and he sailed back over. This is many, many decades ago. He sailed back over to the United States and, and came home and on this ship, there was a handful of other people, and one of the people on that ship were, were famous, and they, they got a hero's welcome, a homecoming, like you can't imagine. As they disembarked from that ship, that person, they were so well-known, and people were so excited to see them, and there was crowds gathered, and people were applauding and cheering, and, and, and this, this missionary, this evangelist who had been serving so relentlessly for so long and, and suffered so much to help others for an eternal purpose that's so much higher, saw the applause that the world gave to their hero upon their homecoming, had this 
drop in their spirit. And it was just a moment in the flesh, but a moment of sadness of like, well, this is unrecognized, all that I've done, all the sacrifices, and no one even noticed as they slipped through the crowd, no one cheering them on. And then this great evangelist said that they felt a prompting in their spirit that they felt like was from the Lord, and that prompting simply was this. You see the applause that man gives, but you're not home yet. You see the homecoming that this person gets here on earth, but your homecoming, listen, getting off this ship, you're not home yet. Where are your treasures, church? Where are your treasures? Are they in heaven or are they here on earth? What are you chasing? What are you chasing? You know, I wonder how many believers in this season are shrinking back, and not just in this crisis, but in other crises in their life. Maybe it's a crisis in their, their life that keeps them from serving the Lord. I wonder how many people back down from ministry posts and ministry assignments and opportunities to serve others and volunteer and help and build God's church. I wonder how many people back down in the middle of a crisis because it cost them too much. You know, I'm a proponent of social distancing and, and all that stuff, hand washing and all that. It's killing me that I can't hug or high five anybody except my family right now. But, I, but I'm restraining. I, I'm social distancing because I think it's a good thing. And our church was very early on. We canceled services weeks ago in person. We moved them online. We moved them to the drive-in to, to keep people safe. I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. But my question is, if a real opportunity to serve someone came up, would you be willing to put yourself at risk to help somebody? If there was great persecution in your life or where you work, if, would you be willing to stand up for Jesus even when it costs you something? When someone else was in need or is safety a greater, is protection a greater goal in your life than the advancement of the message of Jesus Christ? Is the gospel greater in your life or is safety greater in your life? And I'm really grateful for those who are, are government leaders and they they, they, they give us mandates to be safe and all that, and I think we should honor authority and we should do those things. But I noticed that, that in, in, in our state here in Florida, they told us that, that religious services are considered essential services, that we can still meet. Now, I hope that, that the churches don't gather. I hope that people don't gather in person because I don't think that's wise. I don't think it protects people. And I love the innovation of our church, doing a drive-in service. I love the online. I love the virtual Easter egg hunt. And I love the, the Taco Tuesday that you're going to be hearing about. As many of us gather online for a video conference call, and we do tacos and trivia with our church family. And I love the innovation of all of that. But we shouldn't need someone else to tell us that the church is an essential service. And I mean that with all respect. What I'm saying is that the church, we should know that we are an essential service. In fact, Jesus said that there's nothing more essential than his kingdom here on earth. There is nothing you can give your life to. There's nothing that you can pour your time into that is more essential than getting out the gospel message of Jesus Christ that not only saves life here in this, in this earth, but saves eternities. It saves eternal lives. There's nothing greater. There's nothing better. There's nothing stronger. There's nothing higher than our king, our resurrected king and his kingdom. And I'm so excited about following Easter beginning next week. I get to teach on a series I've been preparing for and so excited about for many, many weeks. It's a series we're calling Kingdom Come. And we're just praying that God's kingdom will come. I'm praying for a revival. I'm praying that God will do new things in your life spiritually. I look forward to that and I hope you'll join us every week. But I have a question for you. I have a question for you, and it's here in front of your teaching notes. And the question is, do I treasure the souls of people? Do I treasure the souls of people? Andrew Carnegie was asked 
how he hired 43 millionaires in his time. So successful. How did you have 43 millionaires? And he said, I didn't hire 43 millionaires. They became millionaires when they worked with me. They said, well, how did you do that? And he said, well, it's just like mining for gold. When you go into a gold mine, you have to remove thousands of pounds, thousands of tons of dirt to get an ounce of gold. But you don't go into the mine looking for dirt. You go in looking for gold. And what I love about Jesus is that when he looks at you, he sees a 10. He sees your potential. He doesn't see your past only. He sees your potential. He doesn't see your failures and your flaws. He sees your future. He believes in you. And he wants you to believe in others, to invest in them, because people are God's greatest treasure. So do I, do I treasure the souls of people like I should? I want to close today with one more very important point. I want to wrap up this Easter service. We celebrate the resurrected king that we follow, the real treasure in life. I want to, I want to close by telling this story that I think is really marking in my life, and it's a story about El Dorado. You may know about El Dorado. It's, it's famous. It's a famous story. In fact, hundreds of people have lost their lives chasing El Dorado, the lost city of gold, the Latin American city of gold that's, that's been talked about throughout the centuries. And it's, it's a lost city. No one's ever found it, but it's told to be filled with riches and gold and treasures like never before. And so many people have gone on treasure hunts throughout the landscape of Latin America, and they've lost their lives in, in, in pursuit of this great treasure. But as historians have looked into this further, they've They've uncovered some really interesting things. The origins of El Dorado come from a legendary tale from the Musica tribe in Colombia. And they had a ritual whenever there was a new ruler that stepped into authority that this ruler would strip down and cover themselves with gold dust. And they would go out into the middle of a lake on this highly decorated raft with some of their attendants. And this new king would go out there and bathe and wash the gold dust off, supposedly as a sacrifice to the Musica god. And those attendants that were on that highly decorated raft with them, they'd be decorated in fanciful feathers, and they would have piles of gold and, and precious stones. And they would cast those gold, and they would cast a precious stone into that lake as a sacrifice to their supposed God. And, and while this ruler was bathing this gold dust off, and while they were casting these treasures into this lake, they were appointing their new king and their, their new leader. And that's where the story of El Dorado really comes from. And what's interesting is that El Dorado, as historians have studied it, and although many people have lost their lives chasing the city, El Dorado was never a place. El Dorado was a king at the center of this ritual. It was a person. It was never a place. And interestingly, so many people are treasure hunters in this life looking for their golden egg. They're on their egg hunt looking for that golden egg, that treasure, that place of prosperity. But what they don't realize is what the treasure they're really after in their soul is not a place. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Our world's chasing treasures and looking for them in a place of prosperity, but I'm hoping that this season we're in is a wake-up call for people to see that the treasure in life, the greatest treasure, is not a place of prosperity, but it's in a person. Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the resurrected one. Jesus is the greatest treasure. That's it. Jesus is the greatest treasure. That's the Easter message. And you can enjoy and experience that great treasure personally. Many of you have. And so I hope that 
through this pandemic and on the other side of it, that you will in a greater way cherish and treasure the greatest treasure on earth, our resurrected King. And if you've never given your life to Jesus before, it doesn't matter how broken your life is and how, how filled with things that, that you are ashamed of and have run from. You can know this, that, that God will always receive you when you come to him humbly. Right here, right now, wherever you're hearing this message, in your vehicle, in your apartment, wherever you might be as you listen to this message, this was a, a message from God to you through his word. The message that a resurrected king is the real treasure and he wants to be king of your life, but you have to receive him. You have to confess your sins to him and admit your brokenness and receive his forgiveness humbly. And as you bow your knee to him and you receive him into your heart, he will receive you into his family and adopt you. Listen, he will adopt you into his family so that you can be a child of the king with a great inheritance for all of eternity but you have to humbly admit your sin and receive him into your life. And if you'll do that today, you can not only celebrate a resurrection that happened in some place, but you can celebrate a resurrection that happened inside of your heart. My hope is that you this Easter will rediscover the great treasure that is our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Right on, right on. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the great treasure that we have in Jesus. Thank you for opening our eyes to the fact that the treasures of this earth are not enough to give our lives to. So today we humbly come before you in Jesus. We acknowledge that we have been treasure hunters for the gold of this world. The gold that is merely the, the ground we walk on in heaven. It's not worth giving our lives to. And so Father, we repent of that. We turn from that. We turn to you and we ask you, God, to be the greatest treasure in our hearts as we move forward. May you be a higher treasure, a higher goal, a higher, a higher life to live for than, than what we've been living for. And Jesus, that's what we want. We want to live for you. And as we pray right now, if you're listening to this message and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now by just praying a simple prayer of asking Jesus to forgive you and receive him into your life. And you can do that by saying these words right now boldly to him in prayer. Just simply say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a broken person. I'm in need of your grace and your forgiveness. And I'm asking for that right now. Forgive me. Free me. Lead me. And use me on mission for you. I give you my life. Show me what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said together, amen. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear our Church Experience Worship Original Song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.